This episode of Angular Air is sponsored by Auth0, authentication made simple for developers. Modern authentication and identity can be hard, but Auth0 makes it easy. With Auth0, you can enable login with any social provider, have multi-factor authentication, single sign-on, and passwordless login all at the flip of a switch. Find out how to add authentication to your Angular 1 or 2 app in under 10 minutes at Auth0.com forward slash Angular. Hello and welcome to Angular Air. My name is Jeff Lovely. I am your host. And on today's episode, we are going to be talking about the UI router. So on today's show, we have the man himself, Chris Thielen. Hey, everybody. So Chris has been one of the core maintainers of the UI router project. And they just did a major upgrade to 1.0. And so we're going to be diving into a series of tutorials that Chris has come up with to uh, really go over the UI router and talk about how to upgrade, how to build a hybrid app, NG1 and NG2, and also converting to a NG2, fully NG2 app. Also on the show, we have panelist Olivier Combe. Hello. Olivia, you've been uh, taking a break for a couple of weeks, so uh, you're, you're, I know you're fully rested and ready to go, right? <laughs> yeah, I am. Okay. Uh, Chris, why don't we start off, before we dive into the tutorials, you want to give us a quick introduction to yourself and let us know a little bit about you? Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Chris Thielen. I work at Virtuel in Minnesota. Um, I've been doing Angular development for about, I'd say, three years. been involved with the UI Router project for about two, uh, two and a half years. Cool. Awesome. All right, so uh, I, do, I do have a lot of questions about the UI router itself, but I think uh, what will be best is if we just dive into the tutorials, and I think a lot of the questions, we'll have time at the end for just like some more general questions of things that don't come out um, for the, the three tutorials that we're going to do. So let's start off with our first one, uh, upgrading to the UI router. We're making the assumption that a lot of people watching the show have used the UI router before. Um, so let's let's get into what it's like to actually upgrade to 1.0. All right, I'm going to share my screen here. Um, I'm getting a little bit of uh, buzz, so hopefully, uh, hopefully I have enough uh, bandwidth to show this properly. Can you see my screen? Yep. All right, so... Um, I've got a little project here that we're going to use as a demo. And um, this project is based on a couple things. I found this little um, CSS layout for doing kind of a email thing. It looks like this. It's a little responsive layout. Um, shows a bunch of emails. I found this at uh, Pure CSS. And so this doesn't actually do anything. This is just a static HTML file. And so what I did for the demo is I just turned this thing into a UI router app that fetches um, emails and allows you to drill into inboxes and click emails and whatnot. So this is what we're going to start with, this template here. So this is, the, uh, this is the UI router app. And anybody who wants to follow along, do we have a link to the uh, maybe to the GitHub Repo. Um, yeah, we can uh, tweet uh, tweet that out. Yeah, let's tweet this guy out here. Um, I think it, I think we may have already retweeted it once from the Angular Air uh, account. But if you clone this thing, Christopher Thielen forward slash ngair and then today's date, just clone that, run npm install, and then npm start, and that should get you up and running. I've already done that here. And right now I'm on the um, one underscore legacy branch. This is UI router 0.3.1. And so here's our app. Um, it does have authentication. So the first thing that it does is it sends me to the um, authentication page, the login page. We log in. And it shows us our folders on the left. It shows us our emails here, our list. And then we can drill into one. And it will show the email over on the right here. Um, we can do a couple little things in this app like... You, can, you notice that when we click on one, it marks it as red. The blue bars go away. Um, I can delete an email. I can mark it as unread, mark it as red, or I can move it to a different folder. So I'm going to move this Doreen Freeman over into the finance folder, and there it is. 
So that's pretty much all that this app does. Um, I didn't want to make it too complicated, too fancy. But now I want to show you how some of these features were implemented in UI Router. Um, look in the main uh, main.js. This is where we're registering all of our UI Router states. We've got one for the for the app. It's got a resolve. We've got one for app.folder, and app.folder is what renders all of this contents here. And then we've got another one, another nested state, app.folder.message, and obviously that's rendering the message over here. Um, these guys are fetching data using the resolve. So when we enter the app state, so when this part loads, um, it's fetching the folders from this REST API. And this is actually just a fake REST API um, that is implemented here in this session storage. What that allows me to do without having a back end, I can get, put, delete, etc. cetera. Um, and then even if I reload the app, all of my data is still there. So it's just storing it in session. Um, and it's emulating sort of a restish API. So we're fetching the resolve information uh, for the folders down here. When we, uh, when we access a specific folder, we get that from this REST API, folders.get, pass it the parameter, et cetera. Um, when we load the list of messages for that particular folder, we have another resolve here called messages. We say messages.byfolder, pass in the folder. That comes from here. So that goes in there. These guys return promises. UI Router waits for those promises, and then it activates the views. And then our views um, inject the contents. You guys have any uh, comments or questions so far? Well, just uh, one, of, one of the things I was going to ask and slash point out at the beginning is that um, you're sort of touching on now is that for the general philosophy of UI Router, the old version, I'm assuming for the new version it's going to be that same way, is that um, it's a state-based, right? Like it's, it's sure you can assign URLs to states, but everything is a state machine. That's like the, one of the core tenants, right? That's one of the core tenants. And not just a state machine, but um, the way that we have nested states is it kind of uh, deviates from a standard state machine. Um, but that allows us to inherit stuff when we enter like the app.folder state, we're still in the app state. So it's sort of a state within a state. Um, so that's one of the core tenets of UI Router. Yep. We're going to take a quick break to hear about ThoughtRam. ThoughtRam. Extend your memory. Want to get up and running with the Angular framework, but don't have the time to read through all the documentation and tutorials on the internet? ThoughtRam's Angular Masterclass may be perfect for you. Check it out today at thoughtram.io forward slash training. Welcome back. Let's pick it up where we left off. So this is, this is the legacy version of UI Router 0.3. Um, we use templates, and we use controllers, and we can use controller as, et cetera. If we click into a template, it looks like this. If we click into a controller, it looks like this. We're injecting a service here from the Angular injector, and then we're injecting two resolves. Um, the folder and the messages, and we saw those um, back in here. So these guys are being injected into the controller right here, and then we just apply, uh, we put those on the controller itself, and then in the template, we are using those things like this message in control.messages, and that's how we're repeating and rendering this list here. Um, so most of this should be uh, pretty familiar to a, anybody who's used UI Router before. A couple of things I want to point out here is that we added some transition uh, event callbacks. So like state change start, state change success, and state change error. We're just logging the information about the state that actually was um, the transition to that state started and it was successful, and we can see that, of course, in the console here if we open that up. So this is um, this is UI Router 1.0, and uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to actually migrate this to uh, UI Router. Uh, sorry, th this is UI Router 0.3.1, the legacy, the legacy release, and we're going to migrate that to 1.0. Um, so in order to do that, we're going to do a couple of things. Let me get my notes up here. Um, 
Yeah. Can you just increase the increase the font a little bit? Ah, yes. Thanks. Now I may have to do that on every single file. So if I forget, um, please remind me. Okay. Okay. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm just going to check out this other branch. This npm install. Okay, I'm going to start. You see it installed a couple different things there. We got... Wait a second. Now, what type of black magic did you just do there? Because npm install for me usually takes about 10 minutes. Uh, you know, that's a good question. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know why that uh, was so fast, but um, I do know that most of my dependencies were already downloaded. I only had to download these four. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, that's it. So, right. you know, maybe that's it. All right, so now I'm going to run npm um, start again. Well, I just ran npm install again, but that's all right. Okay, now here we're back. Uh, we're now on UI Router 1.0, and you'll notice some things actually changed here. I also added the UI Router Visualizer, and the UI Router Visualizer is a library that um, that we wrote that allows you to kind of visualize your state tree and visualize the transitions that are happening within your application. So you can see right now I'm on the login state. It says it's active. I'm just going to log in here, and it's going to authenticate me and then bring me to app.folder. You can see that on the state tree here. Wow, dude, that is totally cool. I like. I, I, didn't, I didn't notice that you guys had this uh, yet, but that's awesome. Yep, yep, we've had this for actually quite a while. This started as a UI router extras project back when I was um, heavily involved in that. So. Now our, our transitions are actually shown on the bottom here. So this shows us that when we first came to the app, we tried to go to the app state. We got redirected to app.folder, and that's this one here. So now we tried to transition to app.folder, and then that transition, um, the authentication hook, took over and redirected us to login. Finally, we arrived at login. This was successful. That's why it's green. Then we logged in. We went back to app, and then again, app redirected us to app.folder. So I'm just going to go um, show you a couple of things that we had to do um, to upgrade to UI Router 1.0. In order to do that, I'm just going to walk through the commit history. So here is our legacy version, the one that we uh, that I originally showed. Then I updated um, to Angular UI Router 1.0 Beta 1. You can see that there. Unfortunately, I can't make this any bigger. Actually, there is a view mode, isn't there? There is a present enter presentation mode. Let's see. Maybe that'll be better. All right. Oh, look, everything's huge. Does that make you happy? <laughs> okay, um, where were we? Right down here. So what do we do? We um, first thing I did was I, I switched to UI Router 1.0. The second thing I did was I included the deprecated state change events polyfill. Now one thing that changed pretty dramatically in UI Router 1.0 is we deprecated state change start, state change success, etc. So in order to get those back, um, what you need to do is just include this other file, state events, and this is a polyfill, and this polyfill um, essentially re-adds those deprecated state change events back in. Last thing you need to do is you need to add UI router state events as a module um, uh, dependency to your app. And then those events will continue to fire, and we saw that uh, the app continues to run. Any, uh, any questions about the deprecated state change events? Nope. No, that makes sense. Yeah, okay. Um, the next thing that I did was uh, in we saw those those events that we were using before um, to log to the console. Well, in 1.0 we have this trace service, um, so we got rid of all of these console.logs and we just say trace.enable, um, and then we can pass it the trace level that we'd like enabled. And what this will do is when your app is running in the console, we'll see a whole bunch of stuff like started rejected, reason, the transition has been superseded, etc. Finally, success. Um, all of this, this is, some, this is actually a bug that I'm fixing in beta 2. 
Uh, there's way too much console output there. But basically, you can see as you go through the app, um, you can see the transitions are traced down here. Um, and also show all the rejections. So that was kind of a common complaint about the legacy version is that a lot of times the rejections would be swallowed. So all you have to do is inject trace and say trace.enable. Done. Um, the next thing that we did while we were migrating, oh, by the way, uh, at this point here, when you have the state change events polyfill, this app completely works. That, that's all there is to the migration. If you just use the polyfill, you don't have to do anything. Um, there's a couple other caveats for breaking changes, like an on-enter return value is now important, but um, for the most part, all you have to do is enable that, uh, that polyfill, and, and your old apps will probably work pretty well. So the next thing that I did was I took, a, um, I took this other state hook, uh, uh, the event handler, that previously redirected from app to app.folder, you may have noticed that uh, in the transition visualizer, it said we went to app, but then we got redirected to app.folder. Um, this, is, this is the legacy version of that hook. We said if the two state is app, prevent the transition, go to app.folder instead. Um, in 1.0, we've added a redirect to that you can just add right on your state definition, and this will do the same thing. Um, this can also be a function, and it can also return. You can also return parameters and stuff like that. But this is a, a long, long-awaited. Um, yes, I, I was about to say I, I, that's one that I've been uh, waiting for. And, and also, actually, one thing related to what you're talking about right now is: um, do they have? Do, did you guys add in the 1.0 um, version being able to state change without a URL? change, like there's, um, uh, or what was it? Or no, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, modifying the URL without doing a state change. There, there's... Um, yes. Yeah, what we have now is it's called dynamic parameters, and those allow the parameter values to change without actually triggering a state change. Right, yes. That, yep. that was one thing I had to build a hack for in the old UI router. Yeah, Absolutely. So the next thing here is in main.js, um, we replaced the, uh, the authentication hook, this one here, that checked if on a state change start event, it checked if the user was not authenticated and they weren't going to the login state. Um, if, if those two things were true, they're not authenticated and we're going somewhere other than login, then we prevent that transition and we go to login instead. We replaced this with, um, I just built a custom hook that says uh, any state that has requires auth is true. This is just my logic now. I am going to perform the authentication uh, check using a transition hook. This is a new feature of UI Router 1.0. It's like the state change events, but it fully supports promises and asynchronous operations. So in this case, um, we're doing the same thing. The difference is we're saying uh, we only want this to, we only want our authentication hook to take effect if the state that we're going to actually requires authentication. So this is a criteria object um, that has a callback function here that says does the state have a data property and does that state's data property have a requires auth is true. If that's the case, then we invoke this hook, we check if the user is authenticated and if not, we send them to um, state.target login. We actually return this from the hook and that performs a redirect and the redirect is what shows up as uh, orange in the console here or in the transition uh, visualizer. So you can see redirected, it says redirected there and it's orange. So this is a new transition hook. Um, this is applied globally for any state that matches this criteria. It's going to execute this function and, and take account of the return value. And these transition hooks in 1.0 are extremely powerful. Um, they allow a lot of flexibility. As you can see, this chunk of code allows me now to declaratively just tack data requires auth true onto any state, and suddenly I have authentication for that uh, authentication protection for that state. So pretty excited about the transition hooks, um, and we think people should check them out. So this is, this is ahead, something that you could put in, in the resolve as well, right? You could uh, yeah, say that again? For, you could check for authentication in your resolve function. 
That's correct. Um, the difference is in the resolve function. Uh, you can check for authentication and you can do that kind of stuff in the resolve, um, but it it doesn't account for things like canceling the transition, redirecting somewhere else. Um, so we highly recommend using a transition hook for any of these asynchronous sort of things instead of using a resolve, and we only recommend using a resolve for uh, something that's actually data that you want to pass to your components. Okay, Other makes sense. Yep. Otherwise, the hooks are a much better API. Um, next thing that we did, this is the final thing before um, we'll be done with this section, is we migrated to Angular 1.5 components. And we'll see that here. Um, first thing I did is I just renamed these. And by the way, the file structures that I'm using here, I'm not advocating for these file structures, so don't take that as, as uh, the hardcore truth. But this is what I used for the demo. So source.js components um, migrated app.components, uh, or app controller rather, from this sort of thing, where it's a function that takes this stuff um, and it, you know, mutates itself, adding a logout method and a reset method, which the template then calls. And we switched over to this style, which is a prototypal class. Um, and you can see it's very similar. Uh, has the same stuff on there. The difference here is that now we're using this class and we're passing it in as the controller to an Angular 1.5 component called app. We're still using the partial. Uh, another difference here is that our resolve data is now accessed, uh, is provided to this component using a binding. And this is an input binding. And if you have seen Angular 1.5 components, this means that um, any attribute that's provided to the app, so if you did like uh, uh, left bracket app space folders equals and then some Angular expression, then that actually Angular expression would be bound to the component instance. Um, and so that's how we get the resolve data. You can see that no longer are we injecting folders and manually binding folders to the controllers or to the component. Now it is provided via a component input binding. And so if we look in the actual um, uh, state definition now, instead of saying template URL is this, controller is app controller, controller as is dollar control, all we say is component is app. And again, if we look at app, that app name comes from here. So we're saying use this app component. Um, when we route to the app state, use this app component as its view. And then this folders is applied via a component binding to that app component, and it gets its data that way. This is new stuff. Any questions about this? No, I think that's cool. I, I think it's a good introduction to upgrading. And actually, uh, I, I like that you guys made it like so easy that just with the polyfill, you almost have to don't have to do anything. Yeah. It, well, and that's something that we've really um, taken uh, very seriously is our backwards compatibility. I think something like ninety-five percent of our API is um, is backwards compatible. So, even though it's changed uh, most, I'd say about. 75% of the code is brand new, complete rewrite. Um, the public API is still pretty much backwards compatible. Okay, let's uh, transition to the second section here where we're going to talk about um, having a hybrid app, which is kind of a cool thing that's possible with Angular 2, being able to, and is useful for when you're transitioning. Uh, you know, you have your Angular 1 app and you want to migrate to Angular 2, there's a number of different circumstances where it's useful to be able to have both Angular 1 and Angular 2 running at the same time. And you really need routing, whether it's the UI router or the new Angular router, to uh, enable that. So yeah, I'm interested to see, Chris, how for the UI router you guys enable that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we actually created a uh, we, we actually created a plugin for UI Router that's called uh, UI Router ng1 2 ng2. It's a lot of dashes and a lot of twos. I apologize for that. Um, so I'm going to show um, how we hook that up into our very simple 
NG1 app and turn it into a hybrid NG1, NG2 app. The first thing that we're going to do is um, we're going to do some preparation. So first thing I do is I start transpiling our JavaScript from ES6 to ES5, and I'm just going to use TypeScript. Uh, in order to do that um, because our final target is going to be TypeScript. Next thing that we're going to do is we're going to bundle our JavaScript together using Webpack and we need to do this because Angular 2 um, pretty much requires that you're using a module loader of some sort. We're going to use Webpack as our module loader. So we can see that uh, what we did here is we added a bunch of libraries. Um, we added TypeScript loader for Webpack, Webpack. I don't really want to get too much into Webpack and typing, so that's kind of out of scope for this. Um, added a config file for our TypeScript. And we changed the way that we add our, our source files for our app. Instead of doing a bunch of inline script tags like we were doing before, now we are fetching and loading our bundle. And our bundle is created by um, starting from this entry point, source.js, main.js. And if we look at what main.js looks like now, it's a little bit different. Instead of e, our um, Angular module declaration up at the top, now we're importing that from a separate file, and we're importing all of our other files, um, which just causes them to get loaded into the bundle and executed. Otherwise, it's exactly the same. Each of these files, instead of grabbing the global Angular variable, we're just importing the pre-built angular.module from dot dot slash ng-module. And that guy just looks like this. So he just creates the Angular module with our dependencies, exports that as a variable called app. And then we can import that in our other files and use it. So the next thing that we did was we converted um, our, now that we have ES6, we can use an ES6 class uh, for our controllers and just make it look a little bit nicer. So instead of using function app controller and putting things on the app controller prototype, we're just creating a class. Um, it's just syntax sugar. I think it looks a little bit nicer. We can use it in pretty much the same way. We just say controllers app controller. So this is the class instead of the function but everybody knows a class is just a function. Um, next thing I did was I just consolidated the, the templates with the controllers themselves. So now we have these, uh, this file, which is app.component.js. It fully encapsulates that component. So it's got its controller, and it's got its uh, template here. I stuck mine inline, which I regretted later. <laughs> um, other than that, it's exactly the same. So let's go to the next step. We're just doing some refactoring. All right, so now we're going to actually add Angular 2 and the, um, the upgrade requirements. And so we can see we did that here. Added these to our NPM dependencies, a bunch of stuff, bunch of stuff, bunch of stuff, bunch of stuff. Aha, we added UI router NG2. Now you'll notice we have UI router NG2 with some version number, and we also have Angular UI router with some version number. Um, this is the NG1 code. This is the NG2 code. It uses both the code at the same time, so it's important that um, both of these are included. And then we have this glue package, which is NG1 to NG2. So all we really did was um, add those to our library. Then I converted everything over to TypeScript, which just means adding, um, renaming the files, adding some variables so that TypeScript doesn't complain. I hooked up the uh, Webpack bundler, and we are now going to bootstrap our application in hybrid mode. Now, in order to do that, let's see, what did we change? We put in the ng2 libs. Um, here's, our, here's our hybrid bundle that we'll be loading. And then let's look at, uh, at bootstrap.ts. So this is kind of the Angular 2 upgrade magic. This is where it happens. Um, specifically, right here, we have 
upgrade adapter from Angular 2. We have UI router upgrade adapter from UI router NG1 to NG2. We do some configuration, and when the DOM is ready, we tell NG upgrade to bootstrap our app. I'm curious, Chris. Um, is there a reason why you didn't have your go, go back? Um, oh yeah, no, it is up. Uh, why you didn't have your essentially upgrade library UI router NG1 NG2 uh, sort of encompass the Angular upgrade library? Like, is there is there value to having them separate, basically? Um. I think it was an implementation detail. Um, I think it may have been uh, more difficult not to have the end user do this thing separately, um, but certainly it was probably possible. Um, but I, I don't see it as a as necessarily a problem. I think it actually makes it a little bit more flexible to have them separate and have the instructions essentially say, add this thing to that thing. Does that does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, no, there, I, I could definitely see the flexibility. Um, yeah, it, it's just interesting because there's some stuff with the Universal Project, is some, somewhat similar situation, and it, it's a balance between uh, you give the user more flexibility versus if you combine them, basically, um, you could potentially simplify the uh, the API. Yes. I'll be, I'll be maybe restricting what they could do, but okay. Yeah, yep. no, it's just interesting. Yep, understood. I, I, I completely agree with the sentiment. Um, so the other thing I want to highlight here is I just moved a bunch of the um, the library files from scripts, and now they're just being imported here in this vendor file. This gets us Angular, gets us you know some of the required Angular 2 libs, UI router, ng2, ng1 to ng2, and visualizer. This is going to make sure that they're all in that Webpack bundle. These guys were squash commits that were supposed to be added to this guy. <laughs> Oops. All right, so then um, the next thing that I did was I um, moved the component templates around so that the next diff will be better. So I moved them from inline. Uh, you can see they were inline over here, and I just moved them up to the top of the file. Uh, this is actually not an important thing, but I wanted you to be able to see this a little bit better, and this is when we rewrite a ng1 component as an Angular 2 component. So the first thing that we're going to rewrite is um, the message detail. So it's going to be this component over here that shows like the picture, these uh, buttons, and the contents of the email. Let's look at what we had to change in order to get that to, to uh, Angular 2. You can see that these things were deleted. So we deleted a lot of control dot. We changed ng-repeat. We changed ng-click, which is some really pretty basic uh, Angular 1 to Angular 2 kind of stuff. So on the Angular 2 side, we have to uh, import some stuff in order to get our component to work. And then we made some changes to the template, most of it deleting. Things like ng-source has gone away. Instead, you use a property binding, that sort of stuff. Uh, of course, ng4 is a little bit different syntax than ng-repeat. And then this one, eh, I'm not going to claim that this is the right thing to do. In fact, it's probably the wrong thing to do. Um, but I just bound the message body to the inner HTML of this div um, because it's a demo, I guess. There's probably a much better way to do this with templates or something. I don't know. Um, I think it's a way to do, if you want to do an ng-bind, it it will call the um, uh, the sanitizer anyway, so you're safe. Okay, well that's good to know. Yeah. So here's my component, and there's a there's a few differences here that are worth noting. Um, this used to be a controller. Remember, we used to have um, these three variables that were bound using a bindings declaration on the ng1 component. So the, the folders resolve would be bound to this folders variable. Same with folder and message. They would be bound to folder and message. And that's how we were able to um, 
for instance, uh, $.Message. That's how we're able to bind the content in Angular 1 from resolves. In Angular 2, it's a little bit different. In Angular 2, we mark these things as at input, which is very similar, you'll, you'll see, as the bindings, um, folders, one-way binding. It's pretty much the same concept. Um, the difference is we use these at input uh, annotations to define folder as an input. So what UI router does is when it routes to this component, if it finds a resolve of the same name as an input, it's just going to set the input um, onto the component instance. And that's how you get your resolve data. Second thing that's a little bit different here um, is we have our directives. And we're including the UI router directives, and that gives us access to things like UI view, UI sref, UI sref active, all those things that you may remember from ng1. Um, we also had to modify our uh, message body filter, and it's now a pipe. And you can see I'm using that here just to do a little bit of formatting on the body of the message. Chris, do you recommend for something like UI router directives, since they are used all over the place when you when you are using UI router, um, do you recommend adding those at bootstrap time instead of the individual component? I do actually. Um, I talked with Rob Wormold about this. Uh, I asked them. I asked him if it would be best for uh, UI router as a library to do that for the end users or ask the end users to do that themselves. And his suggestion was that the end users should actually um, do that themselves. So in your bootstrap, I would recommend adding the UI router directives to the platform directives um, multi-provider. Uh, and there's, there's resources on the internet about how to do that. And uh, at some point, there will be documentation in UI router about that as well. Cool. Something a little bit different here. In NG1, we injected private state and private messages. Messages, you'll remember, is our fake REST API service. State is the state service that we do things like state.go. Um, in NG2, since this is an NG2 component, we can, we can do NG2 injection. So the first thing you'll notice here is that we have put a type on our state um, property. And that type is the UI router state service. And this is actually a UI router class that you'll see is imported here from UI router ng2. So this tells Angular 2 dependency injection to inject the state service instance, whatever is configured in, in the dependency injector. The second thing is we are injecting messages using a string token. Um, and we're doing that because Messages is actually an Angular 1 service. And because it's an Angular 1 service, it's stored in the injector as a string. Um, so that's its token. It's a string. And we can actually see that in the place where we did the bootstrapping. If we look here, here's Messages. And we actually registered the Angular 1 Messages service with the upgrade adapter. So this makes messages available for Angular 2 injection as the string messages. So now that we rewrote that component, what else did we have to do? Let's look at our main.ts, where we have our states registered. Um, the first thing you'll notice is I don't have to, uh, I'm not directly importing these things anymore. Uh, because we're using ng2 style, um, class references, this is going to have the same effect. So I just import the class that I actually want to use. And this is the message component. Uh, we exported that from here. As you can see, we exported the class message, and that's what we're importing in the state definitions in order to route to that component. So if I look down here, instead of routing to the string message, which is the ng1 component called message. Now we're routing to the ng2 component class. And this here is enough to, to let UI router know that uh, as long as you have the ng1 to ng2 adapter, that we're routing to an ng2 component and it should wire up all the ng2 stuff appropriately. So again, the difference is, um, oh, I forgot to mention, these are named views. 
uh, in case that wasn't familiar, was saying target the, the view called message at the app state and fill it in with the message component when you activate app.folder.message. So we're doing the same thing here. We have a message.app, uh, message at app named view that we're filling in with the Angular 2 component called message. Any questions or comments about this? This looks so simple. <laughs> it looks I so guess. simple. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I, I like that. I like to hear that from you. Um, the next thing that we did was we uh, rewrote folder as uh, Angular 2, and so it's kind of more of the same ng4 instead of UI or ng repeat. Um, this is a little interesting because we are switching from UISref and UISref active, which are the Angular 1 directives, and we're switching over to UISref and UISref active from Angular 2, um, and those are coming from the UI router directives. So these are a little bit different uh, because of the way ng2 um, binds things. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't feasible to maintain this same sort of uh, domain-specific language for um, state and parameters. So now we actually split it up into two things. We have the UISref, which is just the state, and we have the UIParams, which is just the parameters. And you can see this is a property binding. So as this changes, the, the parameters that are bound to the UISref are going to change, and it's going to update the href on this uh, element. Same sort of stuff down here. We switched from ng1 bindings to ng2 inputs. We're injecting the Angular 1 messages service as messages, um, and that's about it. So if we switched to... Let's check out um, number three, hybrid. We'll do an NPM install and an NPM start. And hopefully everything just works. We're going to break for a moment for a message from Angular class. This episode of Angular Air is sponsored by Angular class. If you're looking to learn the latest and greatest in modern web development techniques, or you need Angular 2 training, then sign up today at angularclass.com. Welcome back. Let's pick it up where we left off. Jeff, what were you saying about NPM install taking forever? Uh, uh, yeah, right. While we're waiting, um, let's take a look at the last thing we did here. The last thing we did here was we rewrote all the components as Angular 2 components, so now app is also Angular 2, um, as well as login. And now we're routing to all of those. Aha, here we are, we're up. So what we have here is all of these components. This is an ng2 component, this is an ng2 component, this is an ng2 component, and this is an ng2 component. And again, this is all, I like how it's all responsive responsive-ish. Um, so this entire app, all the components are now Angular 2, but the entire app is hosted on Angular 1, which is really kind of an interesting thing. So Angular 1 is, is managing all the bootstrapping, it's managing um, like all the, all the state transitions are managed by UI router uh, for Angular 1. But all the components that are being routed to are Angular 2. You can see our um, transition visualizer still works here. The transition visualizer at the moment is only an Angular 1 uh, technology. So it, we haven't uh, rewritten it to, to work with Angular 2. It's something that is on our radar. We're actually going to rewrite it in React, I think, to make it uh, a little bit more uh, cross-framework friendly. So there you have it. This entire app is a hybrid ng1, ng2 app. All the components are ng2. The services are still ng1. And um, UI router is being hosted under ng1. OK, cool. All right, let's do the last one. Uh, now we're talking about migrating to a full ng2 app. Yeah, in this one, I don't actually have um, a whole lot of uh, steps to show you. This one is um, 
basically consists of the following steps. Upgrade all the components to NG2. Well, that's what I just showed you here. Everything is now NG2. Um, sorry, that's what I just showed you here with these components. So like the login components and NG2 components, etc. Um, the last thing that we're going to do is we're going to migrate things like uh, the services over to NG2. We're going to migrate the bootstrapping from uh, NG upgrade to be NG2 bootstrapping. And we're going to create a uh, configuration for UI router. And I'll show you how we do that. So a slight difference here in NG2. We can inject things using the class name. So for instance, when I, when I completely migrated this uh, app.component over to NG2, I no longer inject using the NG1 name of the service. Now I can just use the class of the service itself because this is now an NG2 service. Um, so we did that in these components, same sort of thing. We migrated our component from an Angular 1, or service from an Angular 1 style app.service, do all this stuff, use the fancy dollar timeout. We switched it over to using standard timeout, and we're just exporting a class, which we will then register at some other point. Um, otherwise, this is a pretty direct port of this thing to this thing. Um, instead of using the ng1 services, we can use set timeout, we can use ES6 promises, etc. See, our other service, I didn't actually show you the fake REST services, but this is what they look like. So that folders is actually just fetching from data slash folders.json. Um, the difference here is that we are no longer using the Angular-specific $Q. We're just now using Promise. And we're no longer registering these directly with the uh, Angular module. We're now just exporting those classes, and we will register them at bootstrap time. Let's see. I moved this guy around a bit. Um, the authentication hook that used to be in main, I stuck it here put some documentation on it to talk about what it's doing. And then I'm exporting the, uh, those three things, the hook type, which is an on, on start hook, the criteria, which says um, which transitions should this hook be invoked for. And again, we're saying it should be invoked if the destination state requires auth. And the hook itself, which is a function of type transition hook function, um, which checks if the user is authenticated. If they're not, we return a redirect. A couple interesting things to note in here. Transition hooks are not injected. Transition hooks always receive one parameter. Um, it's the transition. Actually, that's not true. They, they receive two parameters. It's the transition and the state context for on enter, on exit, and on retain hooks. There's actually a state context that goes along with it. Um, but we still needed access to the auth service. We did that in this manner. We just asked the transition for the injector, and based on the injector, we get the auth service. The other thing that's interesting to note here is that the transition has all of the UI router services directly accessible on it, so you don't have to actually inject them. And that's what we're doing here. We're saying transition.router. Router has all the services on it, so router.state service. This is the same as the Angular 1 dollar state. It's the same thing. That's a couple interesting things about transition hooks. Now let's take a look at um, our bootstrap. Uh, actually, before we do that, let's take a look at the uh, states.ts. This used to be main.ts. Um, the difference here is that now we have types, ng2 state declaration. We have our states, and we're exporting our states as a variable, which we will import later. Quick question for 
the resolve there since there's so much kind of momentum behind observables in yes. Angular 2? Do you guys accept observables instead of just promises for, for the resolve? Yeah, actually we do. Um, we have a... Uh, so as far as a resolve is concerned, because it's uh, not venable, the observable is just an object. And because of that, the observable, um, if you resolve something to an observable instead of a promise, basically uh, it's not venable, so it considers it to be immediately uh, completed. And it's going to pass that through, the observable will be passed through into your um, controller, wherever you bind it, whatever. Uh, we also have an option, uh, we, we call it a resolve policy, that you can specify on your resolve that will say, if it's an observable, wait for at least one thing to be uh, emitted from that observable before you let the transition continue. And so that's a way that you can use an observable that might stream a whole bunch of stuff out of it, um, but wait until it's completed before you show the UI, which will allow it to not flicker, for instance. Cool, and you can also transform your observable to promise, so. That's correct, and that's actually how we do the, internally, that's how we do the um, observable uh, wait for the first one to be emitted, is we, we transform it to a promise, and then we return the promise um, from our resolve, so. Uh, yeah, it's it's cool stuff. I, I'm actually kind of excited to, uh, once 1.0 final is out, I'm going to spend some more time on observables and how they interact with UI Router. Uh, you'll notice our resolve is a little bit different here, though. Um, instead of a object which has keys, such as folders, and which has values, which is a, the function, now we are using something that's a lot closer to the ng2 provide style. Um, so we've got an array of objects, and each object is a single resolvable. We specify the token. It's important that we did that we did this because a token is used to be uh, in ng1 we could only inject strings. In ng2 we can inject any sort of token. It could be a arbitrary object, a class, whatever it might be. Um, so this could be the uh, this could be a class reference here, and then you could inject this resolve value using the class reference as the token. Um, but you'll notice this is very similar to provide folders, depths folders, and use factory. And here's the factory function. So if you're familiar with the ng2 provide syntax, it's very similar to that. In fact, if you put a provide syntax object here, we'll process that for you. So you can use ng2 provide. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, very cool. Um, let's see, any other interesting things in here? Again, we export these things and we import them at some point in the future. The future is now. Let's look at router.config. So in router.config, um, there's this class called UI router config, which again you get from UI router ng2. And the UI router config um, has a single callback on it that's past the router. This happens before the router actually starts routing. So this is where you do all of your router config. First things we did is we just router.registry.register uh, for each state. So we're just taking that list of states and we're registering it with the state registry. In ng1, this would have been $stateProvider.state. In ng2, it's router.stateregistry.register. Second thing we do is we just define the otherwise route. This is kind of a holdover from ng route way back in the day. And finally, um, this is that authentication hook that we exported earlier. Um, I'm just showing that you could define your own way to register hooks. So I turned it into an array and say array of hooks dot for each register the hook and you register hooks on the transition service so we just say router dot transition service dot hook dot type this is on start transition service dot on start hook dot criteria and again that criteria is does the state require auth and the hook itself which is the hook callback function that's going to redirect you to login 
So this is our router config, and we export that class. And finally, we're getting there, in our bootstrap. This is the ng2 bootstrap. So instead of creating an upgrade adapter to do the hybrid stuff, instead of registering our, our ng1 services and doing an upgrade adapter.bootstrap, what we do now is we just call bootstrap. We bootstrap the root UI view. This is the UI view uh, directive. So in other uh, demos, you may have seen this say something like app, might be the app class. Um, instead of doing that, we just have a root, uh, root UI view that we'd like to bootstrap ng2 with. Here we add the UI router providers. Here we are providing UI router config with our specific class. This is our class that we defined in router.config.ts. We called it myRouterConfig. And so UI router is going to look for something with this token. It's going to inject it, and it's going to provide it with the UI router instance. Here we're specifying um, HTML5 mode instead of hashbang mode, and here we're registering our services. Perfect. Finally, okay. finally we enable trace, just like before. This time we're using a TypeScript enumeration instead of the string transition. Oh, it doesn't seem to be working today. NPMI. But I did that. Well, let's pretend like this works because it worked before. <laughs> yeah, live demos. That's the type of thing that happens. That's uh, right. Well, I mean, I think uh, there's a lot of great information there. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna have to. This one of these shows that I gotta rewatch myself a couple times to. Right. See, but uh, no, that that's extremely helpful, Chris. Wonderful. I'm glad this was. Uh, I'm glad it was helpful. I, I do have one additional question, and Olivia, if you have any additional questions too, um, outside of what we're, we've been talking about, uh, you know, one of the the big things that is for down the road, they don't really have working yet with the new Angular router, is um, to support lazy loading by um, you know, essentially being able to create packages off of route boundaries. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you guys have started to look at as well? It's something that I've put a lot of thought into, having um, done the UI router extras future states in the past. Um, and it's something that we definitely have on our, on our roadmap, on our radar. Uh, I don't have any specifics for doing module subloading, but I do have a plan in my head. <laughs> so it, it'll be coming. Okay. I think that's, that's going to be one of my biggest uh, priorities after 1.0 is finalized. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a hard problem to solve. That's why you, know, there, you don't have a good solution out there with any framework right now. I, I, I've never seen. Um, but it's one of these... You can do it with... You can do it with the new, new, new router. No, no, no. Uh, you, can, you can do it, but uh, it's it's still like inf in its infancy stage. So like, th yeah. there's a lot of manual stuff you still have to do. Um, so like, I, I think you know, a year down the road, whatever, as this stuff matures, the ability to do that will, um, in a really elegant way, uh, will be hugely beneficial. In addition to all the other great stuff that you went over. Um, that is one thing that we haven't got over that I wanted to mention. Yeah, th there is um, an issue on uh, GitHub uh, where they are working on the new component resolver. And uh, so previously you could uh, give a promise, and uh, that's what they were doing with uh, SystemGS, and that's how you can uh, lazy load stuff with the new router. And they are working on. Um, Changing all of that for the new uh, compile offline uh, stuff. So once this is done, they should have solutions for lazy loading. It's on the to-do list, so it should be in one or two releases, I think. Olivia, any other questions you had for Chris? Um, so if you, if you had to compare um, the UI router for Angular 2 and the the official uh, Angular 2 router, uh, what would be the main different things? Maybe you don't know. 
I think uh, I think the main uh, difference is, is that the official Angular 2 router has a heavy uh, emphasis on observables. Um, and I think they get a lot of really interesting stuff for free because of that. Uh, and I think that's actually some really interesting, uh, really interesting approach. I think UI router's state-based approach uh, with the um, with the ability to do transition hooks based on metadata uh, is really kind of it's it's intended to enable uh, large application development um, in a declarative manner. Um, but I have to say I don't have a whole lot of experience with the new, new, new router or router three or whatever it is, um, so I can't say definitively, you know, what the I, I can't contrast them very well. Well, I think that uh, the, the new, 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 new router <laughs> is still uh, you know you are all focused instead of state machine focused. I mean that's that's like one of those core tenant things that's uh, is is a difference. Uh, but also one thing that I, I realized today and. Hearing, watching, you know, your demos, is that there is another distinct advantage um, for the UI router, which is in helping with the transition. If you already have the UI router in your existing app, because you guys made the transition so seamless, it would make sense to at least, at the very least, try to upgrade with the UI router 1.0 and kind of go along the path that you defined today. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I. Everybody has kind of their own transition strategies from what I've seen slight different variations. Um, but I could definitely see that as a, a strong component of, uh, you know, a larger strategy for many people who are using UI Router today. Yeah, I completely agree with that. If people are already using UI Router, um, I highly recommend you check out the 1.0 branch and start playing with the hybrid app because um, I, think it, I think it works really well. And I think it's going to be a really seamless upgrade process for most people. Cool. All right, let's get to our picks. We're a little bit over today. Uh, Olivier, why don't you start off? Uh, yeah. So um, today, uh, the Angular team released a blog article about um, a translation effort on Angular.io, which uh, they just translated to Chinese with the help of the community. Um, and they're looking for people to translate in other languages. So I want to start a French translation. If anyone is interested, um, just send me a tweet or an email. Uh, we'll see if we can do something. Um, Naomi just replied that I can start a team on that. So if anyone is interested for French, and you can start your own uh, translation process for other languages as, as well. And uh, my other pick um, is the Angular 2 template loader for Webpack uh, that Pilarkin uh, developed for the Angular CLI team. Um, it's uh, something that allows you to load um, CSS files, templates, and stuff like that. You just write them uh, as uh, URL, template URL, and still URL. And Webpack will uh, load them um, inside your JS files uh, when the when it compiles. So it's really a cool loader, and you don't have any almost any configuration to do in your code. So I really like it. Very cool. Cool, Chris. What about you? I have one pick. My pick is going to be Todd Motto's expert courses. Um, I actually know that he is working on a bunch of these topics that we discussed today. So um, check it out. Yeah, in fact, uh, Todd, who is a semi-regular panelist, uh, he's been on a little bit of a break the past couple weeks working on this stuff that you just mentioned. Uh, we actually are setting up a show for him to kind of go over a lot of the work that he's been doing uh, I believe it's going to be in later August, um, so you can keep ahead up for that. And just along those same lines, um, to give a heads up, next week we got a discussion show. Uh, we're just going to be shooting the S about all sorts of different stuff. Uh, so definitely tune into that. You hear the latest happenings of what Olivier has been working on, and and uh, all the hottest topics. Uh, Ng Cruz, we got an update on. Um, and then uh, the next couple of weeks, we got a couple really cool tutorials coming up with uh, the CLI with Mike 
uh, Brocky and Webpack 2. A um, couple other ones, so definitely stay tuned for that. For my picks today, I have a couple different ones. Um, one is NativeScript Developer Day 2016. So September 19th through 20th um, in Boston, my hometown, they are doing a mini conference for NativeScript and everything kind of related to the NativeScript uh, ecosystem. So a lot of mobile related stuff. Uh, I'm going to be speaking at it. A couple other, you know, Angular developers are going to be speaking at it as well. So if you're in the area, if you're interested in mobile development, interested in native script, uh, I don't think it's uh, too expensive. Definitely check it out. Come to Boston. September is like one of the late September is one of the best times of the year to be in Boston. So uh, definitely check it out. And the last thing I was going to mention is that um, I am in the process. Uh, I'll include a link in the show notes, but I'm in the process of separating out Preboot completely to its own library before it was part of Angular Universal. Uh, I'm going to have it as its own library because we already have a couple people from the community that are starting to use it with React and a couple other frameworks. Um, it's a really useful library for whenever you're doing uh, universal JavaScript, uh, you know, transitioning from server views to client views or progressive web apps. There's a lot of different uses for it. So I'm going to... Um, after I get that finalized, I'm definitely going to write up a blog post about that, and uh, hopefully, uh, people out, you know, both within the Angular community um, and outside can enjoy that. That is it for us today. Um, thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks a lot, Chris. Absolutely. Thanks, Olivier. See you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.